Well, good morning, Crossroads. I have to ask you to keep a secret for me this morning. I don't want you to tell my grandchildren, oh, Gideon, plug your ears, just kidding. When Cooper stood up here two weeks ago and gave his great punchline that changed everybody's perspective on what he was talking about, and he said, Tony Stark, I had no clue who he was talking about. That's the, that's the problem that I have these days. I'm just trying to figure all this out, and I hate to admit this to my grandchildren right in front of them to realize that their grandfather is so completely over the hill. So this week, what I'm going to start with is something that will embarrass Cooper because he won't know. Maybe he will. But let's take a look at this. Well, eventually we will. There, there we go. Anybody recognize this? Any of you grayheads out there? Sure, some of you do, and teachers do, because they use it in classrooms. This is from a movie called what? Twelve Angry Men. And they fit the bill. Look at that picture. You know something? You could name our culture right now 300 million angry people. Could you not? I mean, it's interesting that, that it just seems like anger and bitterness and retributional thinking is just constant. Now, what's happening in the movie here right now is their initial vote on whether or not they consider the person who was given to them to pass judgment on whether or not he was guilty or innocent of murdering his father, they are, they are having their initial vote, and you'll see that all the hands are raised except for one. Henry Fonda, he, he had a problem with his arm that day. No, but one guy is saying, you know, I think we should consider this longer. And everybody else is ready to, you know, raise the hand, pass him off as guilty, send him to the electric chair, and go home and have their dinner. And Henry Fonda says, I think we need a little more time. I think we need to think about this a little bit longer. And the interesting thing about this, and I won't spoil the whole movie for you, but the interesting thing that you see here is that each of these guys is bringing a different lens on life. Every one of them is unique in their perspective about what they value, about what they've experienced, about how they view themselves, how they view their responsibility to one another, to the justice that they are about to try to convey. And there they are. Now, next month, I'm going to be having <clears throat> what's called cataract surgery. Because as you get older, they get cloudier for some reason. I, I don't know whether it's from being out at sea, but that when I look up causes for it, it just says aging. That's, you know, that's, you can't do anything about that. So anyway, that is physical. That's, that's the physical sight. But you and everybody around you have a lens that you look at life through. It's shaped by where you grew up. It's shaped by how people treated you going to school. It's shaped by the um, ebbs and flows of everything that's happened in your career. It's shaped by your religious background. It's shaped by your ethnicity. All these things go into making up how you view life in a metaphorical sense. 
So that's what we're going to be talking about this week. So as Cooper said, uh, my name is Mick. For those of you who are new here this morning, uh, and, or maybe you were new on Easter morning or last week, you're wondering, you know, what happened to that young guy? Uh, now you know. Uh, I've been here for 20, almost 25 years now. And this is my first time speaking in this room, which is really encouraging to me. And I just want to say thank you to all of you. I mean, it is so incredible that in five and a half years, which we thought was originally going to be three, it was kind of like my seminary experience. I crammed four years into five and a half. And this, it's kind of been the same way here uh, at Crossroads. That, you know, we had a three-year building plan that ended up being five and a half. And you know something? COVID happened in the middle, but it didn't stop you. You know, we met our, our obligations in our budget. We met our obligations to build the building. And I praise God just that he has provided and you as a congregation have been so faithful for that. So welcome. Glad to have you here. If you're watching on stream, if you're here in the room, we're glad to have you here. So now, where are we going to go with this? Because we're starting this new series. And it, the new series is about this guy. It's, it's 1 John and you know John is the guy who wrote the Gospel of John, the one that G he referred to himself throughout his Gospel as the disciple who Jesus loved. Never used his name. Isn't that great? And then he's the guy who wrote Revelation. He's the one that God gave this amazing vision of what's going to happen in the future. God just kind of chose to give him reality in the future that none of us have had. And I you know, it's kind of complicated to read. Some of you may struggle with it, and people have misused it and all those kind of things, but it's an amazing revelation. But this letter's different. I want you to think about, you know, wouldn't it be great if you could sit down with John, the apostle who walked with Jesus for three years, the guy who was part of that inner circle, Peter, James, and John. His brother was James. And what, by the way, what did they call James and John? Sons of thunder. They were some really rough, roughneck dudes. But wouldn't it be great if you could go over, you know, Julia does such a great job of setting up serendipity. Wouldn't it be great if you could go over to serendipity, sit in the corner with this white bearded guy and say, tell me what spiritual life is really about. Because you know something? I think that's what this letter is. I think this is his over the coffee. Just five short chapters. There's a lot of repetition in it. But it's really like it kind of goes over some things more than once. But as he's doing that, he's communicating from the heart. And that's the tremendous benefit of this. Here, here he is, this old guy. He's written his gospel that tells you what he was like when he was young. And now he's looking at life through a completely different lens. What do I mean by that? Well, this, <clears throat> I'm not hitting that hard enough apparently. Good. Uh, this book called The Measure of a Man, uh, and I don't know all of the stuff about it, but it says, you go through these phases for a, a, a masculine person anyway, and I'm sure that there's a parallel for, you know, princess, warrior instead of this. But they, it goes through this, these stages of you're a warrior, you're a king, 
you're a sage, and then you're a lover. And you know something in that warrior stage? (laughs) Imagine John looking back on those days when he was called the sons of thunder and he was the guy who was ready to call down God's curses and God's judgment on people that didn't agree with them. And remember that when when Jesus would say, whoa, settle down there, John and James. You know, because if if the people didn't agree, he he was ready to call down God's wrath on them. That's a warrior. And that was his mentality. But he was hearing things from Jesus like, love your enemies. Wow. So as a warrior, that would have been really hard to hear because what are you thinking about when you're a warrior? How do I win? How do I become the one who's right in every argument? That's the warrior mentality. And then they also, maybe they made a little progress, I don't know, but toward the end of the time that Jesus was spending with them, they were all thinking like kings. And what's a king want? Power and possessions, right? A king wants to guard his turf. A a king wants to make sure it's protected and get as much of it as he can, and that's the king mentality. And Jesus said, you know, if you really want power, you have to serve. Then there's the sage process, which probably would have happened outside of the time later on as he learned over and over, and he learned about what the church was going to be like, and he was there at Pentecost, and he and the others spoke in languages all of a sudden that they had not learned, but other people around them understood and and could hear them speaking in their own languages in Acts chapter 2, and all of a sudden his knowledge was increasing, his awareness of what was going on, and he senses a need to steward all of that knowledge that he has and to pass it on to the next generation. And now he's coming down to the last stages of his life. And it's good to know a lot. It's good to understand that, you know, we are part of the kingdom that Jesus wants to build. And it's good to know that we are people who can battle. Those are all good things. But ultimately, I think he gets to the end of this. And this this, uh, letter that he's written, which is this coffee cup conversation, The chapter that we're going to read this week, the the kind of prelude to it all, talks about life and light. And then his other word that goes with that trilogy is love. But he's going to talk about life and light, but in the rest of 1 John that Cooper's going to be bringing to us and we'll speak about in a couple weeks for me, is just this idea of love, of becoming a person who majors on relationship, relationship with God and relationship with everyone else that God has put in our path. So that's where we're going with this series, and we're going to call it Heart Eyes because that's the lens that we need to look through, and he's going to help us with that. Can you do that back there? For some reason, this is the battery must be bad. So the heart eyes idea, and I think what dominated his thinking, because this comes from his his gospel where he records all of the things that he can remember as an older man about the specific events and time that he spent with Jesus, and it's a new commandment I give you. Just hours before Jesus is going to the cross, he says this. A new commandment I give you, love one another as I am have loved you, and at the moment he spoke this, they didn't know how deep that love was. Within 24 hours, they would know, because he would bleed out 
after being brutalized in front of them. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. How much? As much as I'm going to show you in the next 24 hours. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you know everything. If you're a real sage. If you gain all the kingdom and possessions and hang on to the power. If you go out there and really do battle and you're always right and you win all the time. No, that isn't what he said. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you, say it out loud with me, love one another. That's why after his sage stage and after he knew so much, he said all of that isn't going to mean a thing unless it's rooted in and expressed through love. So in this part that we're going to read today, We'll get there. Be patient. Next one. We're going to be talking, first of all, about life and light. So I want to, uh, you can turn toward the back of your Bible. You can follow along with me as I'm going to be reading this. Uh, first John is way in the back. About the only thing after it is that's any, of any size is, is uh, Revelation, also written by John. And we're just going to read the f- first chapter here. So if you, if you have it on your device, you can get it there. And if you would just flip that through for me, because I, I'm, I'm, I don't have the patience to work with those batteries. <laughs> that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you that the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. So, if we back up to that first part, sorry. Here's what he's saying. From that which was from the beginning, which we have heard and seen. In other words, he's saying this is not based on some theory. It's not based on philosophy. This is based on my personal experience in having been with one who was from the beginning of time, from the beginning and before the creation, Jesus Christ. And he is saying, this isn't theory. This is my experience and I'm passing it on to you. I've seen this, I've heard it, I've heard his teachings, I've seen with my own eyes the miracles that he performed, 
that he raised Lazarus from the dead. You'll find that in John's gospel. And it left that just amazing impact on John that this is divinity in human flesh who has raised our friend Lazarus from the dead after he's been in the grave for four days. Which we have looked at and our hands have touched. I'm sure that they kind of did a lot of things together. They, 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 were just, they were just buds. They hung out with Jesus. And he, and he wants you to know that, that this isn't theory. And this we proclaim. All of that experience concerning the word of life. Anybody remember how he started his gospel in, in the gospel of John? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God and the word was God so at that very beginning now he's using a little bit different phrase because he wants to emphasize what is true spiritual life what does it mean to walk like Jesus and to live like Jesus and he says the life appeared he makes it clear he's not not using that logos this idea of some sort of theoretical message from God he's saying this was a person that I that I did life with the life appeared and we have seen it and testified to it and we pro- proclaim to you the eternal life. Jesus' life is eternal and when you connect your life to his life, your life becomes that same kind of eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. And we proclaim to you, so now he's going to say, all right, This is what you need to hear. We're sitting here over the coffee. This is what I want you to take away from our conversation. Okay? I'm proclaiming to you what we have seen and heard. How many times he said that now? Three times, right? So that, here's what I want you to take away from our conversation. That you also may have fellowship with us. Isn't it awesome that God preserved this short kind of talk that John wanted to leave behind about life, light, and love so that we wouldn't have to depend on somebody else's opinions. Anybody ever read any commentaries on 1 John? They're like really long. There's some really smart people who've written, you know, rivers of books and and ink have been spilt about 1 John and John's gospel and everything. But you know what? We have the letter. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with commentaries, but I'm much happier that we have fellowship with John, the actual apostle who spent the time with Jesus and wrote this down for us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So his fellowship was direct and we're connecting right in directly next to John so that our fellowship with John is also fellowship with the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ. And we write this to make our joy, meaning his joy, and our joy as well, complete. Because connecting with Jesus, connecting with the Father, is where we will find joy. And we won't find it anywhere else. We'll find some things that will distract us, some things that will amuse us, some things that will absorb our time. 
but they will never bring us the ultimate eternal joy. So let's take a look. What is, it, what is it doing for us? First of all, you are directly linked to the founders of this faith. You know, it's the only one that has that direct connection. All the other faiths that are out there, I mean, the writings of the originators are like a millennia away from the original writings. In the case of the New Testament, there are writings that we have scraps of that are within a lifetime of the life of Jesus in the 100s A.D. So the witness that we have, the data, the evidence, is far more direct and we're connected and links us directly to the founders, to the ones who, like us, struggled. And what did the founders experience? They watched Jesus die. And at that point, they had no idea what was going on. They were distraught. They were hopeless. They were scattered. They were afraid. And when Jesus died on that cross, Christianity died with him at first. And so they they were just lost without it. And now he's saying, but we also saw him on the third day leave an empty tomb and eventually stand before us in a new body that was immortal. And he's saying, that's what we believe. That's the foundation of what our faith is. That Jesus went to the cross, he died there, he was buried, but on that third day, he overcame death because he had completed the payment for all sin for all time. That's the founders. It links us to them. And it links us, next, can we, yeah. it links us to the Father and Son, as he said in that paragraph. Because as close as we are to the Apostle John and his testimony to us, his eyewitness testimony, that's linked directly to the reality of the Father raising the Son from the dead. And that's what this is telling us. And so the first step in this is to believe what he has just said. Believe the message of his gospel, to believe the message of what he said. And when we do that, we are given a new life. We are adopted by God into his forever family. We will never be separated from God. It says in Romans chapter 8. You'll, nothing that we experience, nothing that we can do, nothing that any angelic demonic powers can do, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ. So that's, that's the fact, and we need to believe that. And when we believe that, there are consequences to that. So what do we do with that? And the answer is that we live out the truth that John has revealed. So you're sitting there at the conversation that you're having at serendipity in the corner with John, and now he says, okay, this is, this is the fact. I'm telling you what happened. Now, what are you going to do with it? How are you going to respond to it? And he's going to give a, a major statement in, in verse 5, and then he, in verses 6 through 10, he's going to give these conditional things, different ways that you could respond to it. And he's going to give a bad way, and then he's going to give a better way. So, 
He says this, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. You want to know what this is all about? God is light. He's true. He's an accurate representation of reality. You want to know reality? Look to God. There are a lot of ways that reality can be distorted, a lot of things that could be done differently, but God is light. He's true. He's pure. God is always good. All these things are always true about God. And he says, and then it says, in a, in a negative way, to even emphasize it more, he says, in him there is no darkness at all. I don't know about you, but I try to walk in the light. I try to be like this. But the reality is, there's some murky times, aren't there, for you? Aren't there things where you feel like you've got mixed motives? Even for good things that you do, sometimes you can do them for the notoriety. Sometimes you can do them because it makes me feel good rather than doing them for the loving motive of really bringing service and care to someone else. So in me, there's always (laughs) probably some shades of darkness in the things that I do and why I do them. And, and this is saying, that's not God. So then he's going to go on, and he's going to talk about the alternatives. Next one, please. So now these conditional statements, these if statements, are choices that you get to make and what the consequences are that he's going to describe. So if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness... We lie and do not live out the truth. So in other words, he's saying, look, how in the world are you going to say that I am having fellowship with God when more of my life reflects darkness than light? When I am more deceptive and destructive and harmful to others than I am loving them? How is it going to happen if I'm doing this, what is going to happen to what people see? Are they going to see God in me if that's the case? Are they, going to, are they going to have any reason to believe what I have said I believe about Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection to give me purity, to give me this solution to the fact that God is perfect and holy and I'm not perfect and holy, which is by the way, the biggest dilemma we've got to figure out in life, isn't it? I mean, if God is holy and perfect, and I'm not, then how could I possibly expect to spend eternity with him? Holiness would consume my unholiness. So I've got to figure out, and how would anyone else be able to figure that out if they're watching me, and I'm, I've got this kind of mixture of darkness and light. Now, that's a problem. What's, what's he going to say next? Sorry, it must have worked. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So if we want to change the amount of darkness that we experience and that we portray, then what do we need to do? We need to Spend time with Jesus. How do I do that? Well, fortunately, the scripture's been preserved for us. We can read directly the words of Jesus. That's why it's so important to spend time in the scripture 
listening to the same teaching that John had that he's passing on to us. And that's one of the reasons, by the way, that he wrote, wrote down his gospel so that we could believe this. And if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we're going to have fellowship with each other. Why? Because we're walking in the same direction with the one who's walking in the light, Jesus. And the blood of Jesus, or his death on the cross, purifies us from all sin. And so it's the person who says, I recognize the darkness in my life and I commit myself to Jesus and receive the gift of his righteousness, the light that only comes from him into my life. And that's the first step. Now, here's the dilemma. Sometimes there's a pendulum swing where we get really excited about this. So if we claim to be without sin... This is another alternative. We can say, well, I'm walking in the light perfectly. Perfectionism, it's me. I've got this. I've wired it. What's the problem with that? It just isn't true. If you don't believe it, ask your spouse or your children. They'll tell you, right? Or ask somebody that you work with shoulder to shoulder all the time. The closer we get to one another, the more we realize that, unless we all just have an agreement to say, let's all just claim that we're perfect. Because what's, what's going to happen is there's this, this tension between the fact that we want to be obedient, we want to follow what God tells us to do, but on the other hand, we recognize that we're supposed to be perfect. So why don't I just claim that I'm perfect because I'm still struggling with this. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And notice it's singular. Sin. In other words, if I claim that my, I've kind of reached this milestone where I don't sin anymore, and there are those within the community of, of Christianity who make such a claim, I don't believe it. And this verse is one of the reasons. If we claim to be without sin, in other words, no sin nature, I've overcome it, God's given me new life, so therefore the old life is totally gone. That will be true someday. When these bodies are no longer our bodies. When we get a new, glorious, perfect body. But some are claiming it already. And then he says the solution to it. If we confess our sins. There's two ways you confess your sins. You confess, first of all, your sin. And admit to God that you are a sinner. That it's by your nature. And that's where you receive the gift of eternal life. That's where you receive the cleansing that takes away your forensic guilt before a just God in the court before which we stand. That's admitting that we do sin. But if we confess our sins, what are the consequences when we blow it? Because we will. And if we confess our sins, what does it say? He's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. In other words, give us a clean slate from which we can act in accordance with what he says and would have us do. So, how, how does this work? Well, first of all, once you're a follower of Jesus and you've come in and you're now in the family, think of it like this. If every time your spouse, you disappointed your spouse or your spouse disappointed you, you said, sorry, we're not spouses anymore. 
uh, we, we just have this uh, on and off divorce decree that's going on between the two of us, and we're just going to divorce each other for the next hour until that person, no. Now, you might have some consequences of doing something that's hurting your spouse that, or your child, every time your child messes up. I mean, as perfect as Gideon is, even Gideon occasionally does something wrong. Maybe. I don't know. He's, he's pretty good. But anyway, when he does blow it, I know Gideon's father is not perfect. <laughs> and he would manifest that from time to time when he was growing up. And when he did, I didn't like put his bags out on the street and say, I'm done with you. I disown you. You're done until you come to me and confess. And then if you confess, I'll consider it and maybe I'll let you back in. Now, this is family forgiveness. There would be consequences if he messed up and he would need to come to me and indicate, if he, if he wanted to really fully restore our relationship, there would be taking responsibility. And the word confess just means admit, admit our sins, to do the relational connecting with God that needs to be done because I've stepped out of the light into the darkness and I need to get purified from that. And that is a daily daily need and then it says this if we claim we have not sinned in other words not only do i not have a sin nature but i just never mess up what does it say we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us we need to understand that there are there are things about us that we need to deal with and what happens when we have an open relationship with God, an open relationship with others, you know, there's, there's a sense of humility before God and before others. There's a sense of connectivity. There's, there's a release from all the pretense and the pretending. There's a release from the need to judge others to make myself feel better about me. When we just simply say, I have sinned. I agree with God. God's not the liar I am. I want his word in me so that I know exactly who I am and who God is and I relate in reality. So, what has he said in there? He's first, one of the words that, anybody like this word obedience? That's kind of an old-fashioned churchy word, isn't it? Obedience. I mean, it feels constraining and confining and people controlling other people. It seems almost spiritually abusive to mention the word obedience. So let's just stick to walk in the light. You can choose obedience, you can choose walk in the light, but obedience or walking in the light, figuring out what is Jesus' perspective and how do I align myself with that, that is what displays and sustains our link to him. So if we want to have fellowship with the Father and the Son, we need to walk in the light because they're not going to move into the darkness. That's not possible for God. So our obedience will do that. And if we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we're just fooling ourselves. And then purity. Again, almost sounds like that word Puritan. Remember when the Puritans came? Puritans came to the United States and they got, they got a really bad rap for being people that were just looking for someone else who's having fun so that they could stamp it out. 
That, that wasn't the Puritans at all. When you study the real Puritans, they were fun-loving people. They just wanted to live like God wanted them to live. Impurity is a place of joy. It's a place of fellowship with God. And when we, when we just let impurity, kind of like pig pen, anybody know pig pen from, from peanuts, you know? He just goes around always just in his total impurity, right? Yeah, I mean, the worst thing that could ever happen to pig pen would be taking a bath. And so, you know, we, we can be content to just walk around like pigpen. And what this is saying is that we need, to, we need to go to God and get purity in our life if we're going to walk in the light. It displays that Jesus really did what he said he did for us. Now, accept the truth of our own sin and our sin nature. Have you done that? Have you said to God, not only do I have sin, I am by nature a person of a sin nature. I'm a person who is selfish. I'm a person whose perspective, whose lenses on life, my eyes need to be turned into heart eyes like Jesus' eyes because by nature, I've got some serious cataracts. So conf- confess those individual sins as we become aware of them. Look at what, what John said. If we confess those sins, look at what John says at the end of 1 John. He says this, Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life you're not disowned you're not divorced for one offense after you've come to faith but it makes sense to reconnect when i've harmed or offended someone else so what do heart eyes produce this isn't in your outline they shortened the outline space on me when they took this tear off out of there so i'm i'm having to use less uh, less fill in the blank. So some of you may, may find that disturbing. Uh, and most of you are probably saying, glad this will get us out of here before one o'clock. Um, so what do heart eyes produce? More conciliation. Less competition. Now how do I view the other person sitting across or at the workplace or whatever? Is that somebody I've got to win? Yeah, that's the warrior mentality. I've got to win. More giving and less taking. That's the king who serves instead of accumulating. More compassion, less retribution. That's the lover. That's the phase where you just figure it's really all about relationship. My relationship with God, my relationship with others and understanding who I am and who he wants me to be and and what a joy it is to serve his purpose in the way that he's given me the opportunity to do. Now, I I put dot, dot, dot here because I want to encourage you to think about what would heart eyes produce in you? What would God want more of in your life that would reflect that you've moved across these phases of life to the point where you really understand that the emphasis is the love of God, being a recipient of it 
and being a conduit of it. To pass the love of God from the amazing things that John has told us that Jesus, that we can believe about Jesus and what he did and then what we can do, empowered by that love. So what we're going to see in the next few weeks is simply that living in the light is what's going to produce the love so that we can love like Jesus. Would you stand and pray with me? God, we're so grateful for the ways that you have, you have been at work already in our life. And some here this morning have been following Jesus for a long time and recognize that by his amazing grace, we have been redeemed, forgiven, cleansed, and given eternal life. And so God, I thank you for that. But there might be some here this morning who have never understood exactly what that means. Have never understood that there is a barrier between us and you that is our impurity compared to your complete purity and holiness. And that Jesus, when he died, absorbed our impurity and all of its consequences so that we could be clothed in his purity and his righteousness in your court. And so I encourage anyone here who's never transferred their trust from their own purity to Jesus' purity and righteousness would make that trust transfer right now. Simply by saying, God, I just admit to you that I am a sinner in need of this transfer and I am in need of the righteousness of Jesus because I want to admit that I don't have it. And if you're telling God that right now, you can be assured that your life has just changed for eternity. And so God, thank you for the power to do that. And for those of us who have been following Jesus, maybe for a long time, I pray that in this series, we would recognize that we need our lenses purified to see life the way Jesus wants us to see it in light of his love that we wouldn't be all wrapped around all these things, competition, retribution, bitterness, but that we would let love come into and flow through our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.